0: I'm well, really glad that you're here tonight as we start and kind of lean into this light of Christmas series and just excited. How many of you have your Christmas tree up? You can give a little more woo-woo. I, you should give a little more woo-woo because uh, I know it just takes a lot of energy to put up a tree, doesn't it? Anyone with me? Even pre-lit trees are just, they're a challenge. One light goes out, and like the whole strand, and then what do you do? Like, you got to search through the whole entire tree. Or watch your wife do it, and cheer her on. Go Amy. That's what I do. But um, So, uh, really glad you're here, and I hope tonight uh, we can kind of lean in. I, and I, I want to point this tree out, because it's someone who was here for the first time said, hey, I like that tree, and I thought... This is a cool tree. And, I mean, it's a short tree, which I feel extra comforted with. Um, but I don't know about you, but I, I personally love just sitting on the couch with a hot chocolate and just kind of sitting and looking at the tree. And I know if that makes me weird, you know, in your book, fine. Uh, then I'm weird. Uh, but I, I like doing that at certain times because. Here's the point of tonight, a little bit. In order to marvel at your Savior, you've got to create margin in your schedule. In order to truly marvel at your Savior, you've got to create margin in your schedule. And I know for me, um, these are really busy times, aren't they? And, you know, we all have another thing to go to, and we all have lots of different stuff going on. But for me, when I just sit and look at the tree, um, what I think about is my childhood. I, I think about uh, Little Jack, you know, even shorter. Uh, just, and, you know, and just enjoying life and being able to see the tree and just the marvel of everything that Christmas is and was growing up. Do you remember those days? Do you ever let your imagination kind of go back to those days? Because sometimes we can grow up, and we grow old, and we grow crotchety, and we, we forget the marvel of Christmas sometimes. And I'm not talking about toys under the tree. That, that's awesome, too. But I'm talking just the, the beauty of the whole season. And, and tonight and next week, we want to kind of just lean into that a little bit. And this, this calling of, for us to marvel again in the light of Christmas, and we as believers, and maybe you're not here in a follower of Jesus, and you're like, okay, you know, I got drug here because it's Christmas, and that's fine. I think it's awesome that you're here, and, and if that's you, man, let me buy you a drink at the cafe for even just showing up, so I think that's awesome, and so if if that is you, just tell them, put it on Jack's tab. Now, don't everybody do that because that's weird, and sh- your moral conscience should feel weird doing that, but um, we would love just to, to welcome you here, and I hope that this light of Christmas, that you at least just open your mind a little bit, that in the over-commercialization of which we live and navigate in in our culture around Christmas, that maybe there is a light that actually shines some truth here, if you are keen enough to see it. And the light changes things. I I just, I love looking at the Christmas tree. I, I did that as a kid and just thinking about all of the the beauty of what christmas means cuz light changes things it's interesting um, you ever been uh, out looking at lights and you've seen like that one house well there's the one house that has like one light on it they put like lights on their mailbox and that was it and, and you know we all talk about that house but then there's that one house that's like the overachiever you know everyone's a type a person in that house and they've synced it all to music and like it lights up the entire neighborhood, you can NASA, you know, writes them letters and all that kind of stuff. And it synchronizes the music and you just stand out there and aren't you in awe? Like I'm in awe mostly the engineering of that. It's probably a simple software system, but I just I'm bridges amaze me how I can drive over a bridge and they, and it doesn't fall down. So like little things marvel me. And so I look at those houses and I'm just captivated by the lights of that because there's something about lights. It's powerful. I remember going on a trip down to Bisbee. Anyone ever been out of the Bisbee mine before? And in the Bisbee mine, you get this headlamp, right? And you get this, like, heavy yellow coat that's like a raincoat, and it doesn't rain inside a mountain, so I never understood that. But you have this red, you know, this kind of yellow raincoat, and you go deep into this mine and as you're leaving civilization and, and air, and you're kind of going down into this mountain and into this, this mine, and you look back and you see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, right? That's what they say, and, and you see that, and it disappears, and you're like, wow, I'm in a mountain, and that's... Dumb. Um, so you're down there, and everyone's got these headlamps, right? And then they come to that one place in the tour where the the guide says, "Hey, everyone, turn off your lights. Why?" And you do it because of peer pressure, and everyone turns it off. And then they and then he does that thing. You're like, stick your hand in front of your face, and then you're like this, and you're like, I can't see my hand. I had a right hand. Where'd it go? And you're freaking out, maybe a little bit. But then the, then the guide turns on his his one light, right? And it instantly just changes the whole scenario of what you're seeing because you're not seeing anything in that moment. This deep darkness has set over you. And darkness has more, uh, it has a feeling, doesn't it? Some of you know that just from life and maybe darkness that you've dealt with. It's more than just a condition. It's more than just a state of something you can see. It actually has a feeling to it, doesn't it? And maybe you've logged some time there. But light changes the whole situation, doesn't it? How many of you watch movies and you kind of turn the lights down, right? And you're there and then that one person comes downstairs or comes into the room and flips the light on and what do you do? What? (laughs) Watching a movie. And instantly your attention goes where? Where does it go? To the light, right? Instantly, light changes Everything. Can I just show you the very beginning? And by the very beginning, I'm the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. If, uh, if you want to follow along, you can follow along in your Bibles. Or if you have your phone, you can go to version and just kind of look at the live event. All my notes and stuff's there. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created so however we want to argue about how the existence of all that stuff, the reality, the origin is God created it, okay? So we could debate all that stuff later. We don't have time for that tonight. But now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said something. God said, let there be light. And the clapper happened, and light happened. And God created Light, and he changed everything. You and I wake up in the morning, right? And what do we look for? The sun, right? We look for light because you. How many of you are up before the sun? And then what are you telling? What are you telling yourself? Why am I up? <laughs> the sun is not even up, right? Why? Because you're looking for the light. Light changes things. We we mark our whole calendar by this. And God introduces this light, and it changed everything. God created it. He put it in play. And then tonight I want us to see, as we look into this light of Christmas, another moment in history where light is reintroduced or discussed about it coming again. And it's in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, Isaiah chapter 9, I have to give you a little bit a background with this. And again, um, if you're not you know, much of a, a Bible student, that's okay. I'll give you kind of the really cliff note version of... Remember, David was one of the great kings of Israel, right? He united the whole, all 12 tribes, which made up the nation of Israel, and Solomon kind of had that. and Then the kingdom began to fall apart, and it really divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? And they each had their little kings, and they had squabbles and fights and all that kind of stuff, and they kind of uh, denied, and some of the kings would. Fall after, after God, uh, after Yahweh and others would just ignore that and just look for other gods and just, it was crazy. It was crazy stuff was happening, right? In these northern kingdoms and these southern kingdoms. There's really ten tribes that made up this northern kingdom and two tribes that made up this southern kingdom of Israel as it was divided and split. And then we get to about 732 B.C., and Isaiah's on the scene, right? And Isaiah a prophet, and prophets were just the mouthpiece of God to that generation, to that moment. And Isaiah is, is really prophesying more so for the southern kingdom, for what was called Judah, okay? So Judah is the southern kingdom, and he was the voice of God to these people. And he has a lot to say, and he has a little bit to say to the northern kingdom, but the northern kingdom is actually facing the opposition from this Assyrian army, right? And they are breathing down their neck. In fact, so much so that they're actually trying to get the king, King Ahaz, in the Judah in the the southern kingdom to actually create this allegiance with them so that they could try to just stay off this impending doom that's coming their way. It's crazy, the potential of what's happening. And there's so much political maneuvering going on, trying to, to answer and get and try to find some kind of manufactured human hope. In this situation, but there's not a lot there, not a lot available. And so this kind of goes on, and in 732 BC, this northern part, the northernmost part of this northern kingdom is getting ready to get invaded from the, the leader of the Assyrian army, right? And they're going to get overthrown. In fact, it's in 722 BC that the whole northern kingdom is overtaken. And then we read about 100 and plus years later, the southern kingdom in 586 is overthrown and taken. And people are led off into captivity. And, and we read all about this. And part of this is God allowing that to happen because people, his people have been ignoring him and sinning against him. And so there's a lot to this, okay? That's kind of the cliff note version, so to speak. And Isaiah's speaking to these people, and and he says these incredible words because God, in the midst of all this doom and gloom and the thing that's hovering over these people, and they're trying to figure it out on their own, but they're coming up just to to cul-de-sac after cul-de-sac, just dead end after dead end. They don't have any hope. And then the very first word of Isaiah, chapter 9, is a crazy word. So you have this doom picture, right? And then the very first word is this. Nevertheless, I just love that. That's like lawyer talk. You ever been in a courtroom where the lawyer just says something like, You killed her! Strike that. And as a jury, you're supposed to, like, wipe that off. You're not supposed to even remember that he said that, right? Okay, strike that from the record. (laughs) He just accused that person. Okay, anyway. So this is just, okay... Isaiah's painted this horrible picture of doom and gloom. And then he says, nah, nevertheless, nevertheless. And now he's getting ready to declare something over these people. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. That's an interesting phrase that's put there. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. The way of the sea was most likely, this is the only time we see this in the Bible, but this trade route that kind of went in this northern north part of the northern kingdom, but kind of by the area of Galilee, Right? And this Capernaum and and all these other kind of places that are up here. the uh, What's it say? It says the Galilee of the Gentiles. Meaning this was Jewish land. Jewish people. This is the Jewish tribe that owns this. And yet they are overthrown here in just another year or so. And now we're fast forward. And you can read this little phrase again in Matthew chapter 4. Because Matthew records back to this. And he says this land gets overthrown. Nevertheless... There is a hope. He says this, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Isaiah is speaking. You have to understand, as as a prophet, sometimes he's speaking about the scenario that's right in front of him. And sometimes he's speaking about a scenario that is to come. And this is one of those scenarios that he's speaking in both Here is the reality of what is going to happen, but here is a greater reality. Nevertheless, here's a greater reality that's coming. A light will dawn. And this northernmost part of this northern kingdom that gets invaded first, you'll be the first to see the new dawn. Isn't that cool? Now, if you're living there in 732 BC, you're kind of like, well... Thanks. that doesn't really help your situation a whole lot except it kind of gives an anchor moment remember the story of God is the story of God working through his people year after year century after century and you have to look at it as a narrative and as a story that's unfolding and in this moment God is saying through the prophet Isaiah better things are going to happen in fact a new light is coming and it will dawn and it will change everything. In fact, in, ver- in chapter 7, you read about the virgin will be with a child who will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, we just sang about, means what? God with us. Not God around us, God with us. You ever been camping? I don't do a lot of camping now, but when I was a kid, I would go hunting with my dad uh, for a couple years until my brother got old enough to do it. And we would go out hunting, we'd go camping, and we'd be camping out there, and then we would set up camp, and then sometimes we'd run low on firewood, right? And so as a, as a young guy, I would sit there, I was probably about 10 years old or so, and I'd be around the campfire. My job was to watch the fire, okay? So that's my job, and my dad would disappear into the darkness. Now at 10... In one sense, that's super cool. Because you're like, I'm watching fire. This is what cave people did. Getting one with my roots or whatever. you're, you're, you're thinking about this. And then your dad disappears, right? Into the darkness. And you're alone with the fire. Alone. Just you and the fire. And creaking and snapping and crackling and whistling of trees and nine foot grizzly bears that you know are just on the other side of that tree, right? And you start having all these fears that come up in your mind, right? Surely bears don't like blonde haired children. Do they? No. They like dark haired people, I think, better. And so like you're trying to console yourself and all this and every sound has this fear that's produced within you until you notice the flashlight bouncing, coming through the trees, right? And then the flashlight kind of emerges from the darkness and it's back in your campsite and your dad is back with you, not just around you, but with you. And that light changes everything, doesn't it? Because it's that light that makes this pronouncement. That light announces presence, doesn't it? And in that moment, at that campsite, around that fire, in the middle of those fears... That light announces presence. Friends, that is what's going on here in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is saying, look, I know you have all these fears and I know uh, this isn't going to go well for you. I mean, this is not going to go well in the immediate right now. There's going to be some consequences that you have to face. But I want you to see the light that's out in the darkness, that's bouncing around a little bit. Because eventually it's going to get closer and closer and closer. And eventually that light announces the presence of God with you. Not just around you, but actually with you. And a new light is dawned. And you need to hold on to that and keep looking for that. That's what Isaiah is saying. That that's the importance of what Isaiah is kind of looking at. And he's saying, because in chapter 8, it's a lot of doom and gloom. Just to be honest, if you read through it, there's a lot that's kind of going on here. Uh, This is not just God announcing um, his presence. That isn't going to be here in the immediate. It's going to be out here a little bit further. So this is hundreds of years later. They're announcing the birth of Christ. Because we as believers would say the light of Christmas has a name. His name is Jesus, period. It's not just a good feeling. It's not just a good emotion. It's not just this moral thing out there. It's not a philosophy of life. It's actually the person of Jesus. The light of Christmas is the person of Jesus. Now, again, you may be here and you may be like, okay, I don't know if I totally buy that. And I get it. I understand maybe some of the skepticism that you might have, and there might be a lot behind some of your story that we probably don't even have time to hear. But if it was just you and me at Starbucks, and we could actually hang out for a while, here's what I would encourage you. is I know Christmas comes around every single year, and there's so much stuff that goes on with it, and this is the busiest time of year. But maybe I would encourage you just to sit on the couch for a moment and just look at the lights. And maybe in the over-commercialization of what we know and what we see and what we feel all the time, maybe there is a light that actually shines and begins to point to something deeper. And would you just keep an open mind, maybe? Because what Isaiah is saying in this moment is incredibly profound for those with eyes to see and ears to see. That there is a light coming, and there is a light that will dawn. And that this light declares that God's presence will be with humanity, with you on Tuesday, and on Thursday, and on Friday night, and on Sunday morning, and on Sunday night. That you can never get away from his presence, which is actually meant to be a comforting thing, not a condemning thing. That's meant to be this reality that God actually travels life with you, not just around you. That's what we celebrate when we sing about Emmanuel. God with me. That he's with me in the the lowest of lows, and he's with me in the highest of highs, and he's with me in the blah middle. Right? Right? That I get to travel life with him, and he's traveling life with me, and I get to actually encounter and be empowered to a greater strength than just me trying to pull it off on my own. As I lean into the truth that life with God is found in the light of Christmas. It's in Jesus. Period. Period that it's not in my morality, it's not in what Lyle talked about, it's not in my behavior, it's not in me trying to earn the right things and do enough good things, it's in the trust of faith, of what Isaiah says, there will be a light that dawns. And even those of you who are facing the most oppression in this moment, you've got to know, you'll be the first to see this new light. Where's Jesus born? Bethlehem right if you know the story but where does he go after he's got to flee to Egypt where does he come back and where does he actually start his whole ministry right Galilee hmm didn't we just read about that and this Galilee this Galilee of what they had to the phrase Galilee of Gentiles meaning they were overtaken and it just became this outpost it's in that place That Jesus begins his ministry. And a new light has dawned. No one is too far gone ever from God. I talk to so many people who feel like I've done too many bad things. I've I've gone too far away from God. Jack, you don't know my story. And what I want to say to you is the light is pouncing and it's coming closer to you. And if you just stay put, it'll actually find you. Because I serve a God who searches really, really well for people who are lost in darkness. The light always finds, and here's the truth. Darkness always has to flee when light shows up. You can be in the darkest room, and when the light switch goes on, where does darkness go? It disappears, right? When light shows up, darkness has got to flee. And the light of Christmas is Jesus saying, I will show up to every single life that looks for me and even those who don't. I look for them. And that's what we begin to see. A light has dawned. The light of Christmas searches for all of those who are lost in darkness. And here's the truth. We all are. (laughs) It's not just a couple of us that are lost in darkness. There but for the grace of God go I. We're all lost. That's what the Bible says. It paints this picture of a dark world, which, you know, we may look at and go, I don't like hearing that. I don't like hearing that we live in a dark world. I like to hear that we're in a a positive world, and we're in a world where humanity can do good things. And that's true. It can. But the Bible actually paints this picture that the world and humanity and culture in general is just, it's lost. It's dark. And what we need is light. And then what you read at the end of chapter 8, can I just read this verse to you? Verse 22, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Meaning, you have this Assyrian army that's coming and all these people looking for political uh, rallying points and for navigating, trying to ways to, to, to overcome their enemy and to, to break out of the scenario. And they're looking to one another in all these things. They're looking for a leader. They're looking for the smartest minds. They're looking for all these things. And what is God saying? It doesn't matter what you look to. You're looking to one another and you're not going to find it. See, the light didn't get kindled by people. The light wasn't initiated by people. The light wasn't invented by people who brought the light. God did. God's the one that said, I will bring a new light, and you'll be the first to see it. The light will dawn, and the light of Christmas is Jesus showing up on his initiative, not your working, not my working. Not humanity trying to figure it out enough to get and kind of summon God to come. This is God saying, I- I'm going to do that. Nevertheless, here's the story. It's not, and it's not pretty. It's pretty ugly, actually. Nevertheless, I'll take care of it. That's why that word is so powerful. No situation you ever face... Is, is ever beyond the reach of God's nevertheless. There isn't a situation you will ever face that is beyond the reach of God's nevertheless. I can take care of that. I can work with you on that. I can be there for you on that. Christmas is announcing over and over that God's nevertheless is the better plan. And it's not because we initiated it. It's not because we kindled it. It's not because we came up with it. It's because he announced it. He declared it. He put it in motion. And so this light of Christmas must be discovered. It isn't invented. The light of Christmas must be discovered. And it's got to be discovered individually. By us. By you. And here's my invitation for you this Christmas is to lean back in to the light of Christmas and not let the hustle and bustle and the noise and all the lights and sounds of Christmas in American culture to drown out the one light and the one voice that's asking you and saying, would you just pause? Because if you want to learn to marvel at Christmas again, you've got to create margin in your schedule again. You've got to create space to say, God, I want to to know what it is to marvel. Can I just read you the definition of marvel? Something that causes wonder and admiration and astonishment to become filled with admiration, astonishment, and surprise. Listen, friends, that will not happen when you're in a hurry. No one has ever marveled in a hurry. It can't be done. So if you want to marvel at this Christmas at your Savior, then you've got to create margin in your schedule and create some moments and some times where you can just pause and say, I I want to remember what it's like to marvel at the light of Christmas, at Jesus again, the fact that he came to find me. And maybe, again, if, if you're kind of here searching, just to recognize and maybe be open to the reality that the Creator, the heavens and the earth, is actually on a search and rescue mission for you. And you may not think you're worth that, but He does. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's what we get to marvel at. So when we walk Winter Haven next week, I want you to go with us, right? And I want you to follow some kids, Not other people's kids, that's weird, don't do that, okay? But our kids. And go with people that are connected to those kids, because again, that's weird. But just, I want you to look at Winter Haven through the eyes of kids, because kids get this. We as adults outgrow this. Kids understand what it's like to marvel, don't they? You have nieces, you have nephews, you have your kids, you have children that you're around. And I just watch this season for the next couple of weeks through Christmas and allow your heart to marvel again at the beauty of Christmas. To, to say, I want to I capture and be captured again by the light of the grace of God that knew my name and that sought me out. And that just... Didn't say, hey, live life around me and here's a game plan, you figure it out. But actually said, I'm Emmanuel, I'll get to live life with you. And we'll face everything that comes your way together. And you'll never be alone. That's something to marvel at, isn't it? And so often in Christmas time, it's so easy to forget that. So, the light of Christmas dawns, right? I told you in Matthew chapter 4, you could read about it. But I want to look at Matthew chapter 2 because there's this story of these wise guys, right? And not like pranksters, but these wise guys who are actually searching for a light that has caught their attention. Why? Because light catches people's attention, doesn't it? In the midst of darkness. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is verse 1. In Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. We saw what? A star. What star? Light. A light has dawned. And we've seen him and we're trying to find him. And then they have this little conversation with this guy called King Herod and King Herod's a bad dude. Right. And so King Herod has this whole plan. He says, Oh yeah, you go find him and then tell me where he is so I can come worship too. Right. And then King Herod sets off this like baby killing plan. It's, it's weird. Okay. And it's not right. And, and we think Christmas this is this wonderful story. And yet we realize in the first Christmas, it it had a lot of doom and gloom to it. Okay. And, In this whole story, then it kind of goes on. They're protected from that. And in verse 9, we see this. After they had heard the king, they went on their own way. They didn't follow the king's instructions. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And in verse 10, if you have a Bible, underline this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I know for the non astronomer type uh, like myself. I took astronomy in college, but eh, that verse doesn't excite me a whole lot. It's not like, wow, what do I do with that? Um, but here's what I want you to get. This star, this light, caught their attention from far away. And they, it took them on this journey. Why? Searching for something, and not just for something, but for some one. And as they searched for this someone, they got to the place where this light kept leading them to where he was. A light has dawned. And you will find him. And if you search for him, he will be found. And so it's in this moment that they find him, and they are filled with joy. And what the Bible would describe and kind of paint this picture is it's not just a joy of that moment. It's maybe what you call a buoyant joy. A joy that has this bounce back within it. How many of you have ever been jet skiing before? I love to jet ski, okay? I don't get to do it hardly, but if there was one toy that I could get, that would probably be it. And it's awesome because you can actually take this jet ski, right? And you can try to pop it up in the air and go under the water a little bit, but is the jet ski going to stay underwater? Now, it's kind of made with an engine that's metal. You would think metal should sink, right? But it's created with what? A buoyancy to it in the, in the fiberglass and everything that's around it, it forces it back up, right? Friends, that's what we lean into at Christmas, is we have this buoyant joy. Maybe your situation that you're facing right now, you'd say, Gosh, man, this, I don't have much joy right now. I'm losing my job. I've got things and I'm battling. I've got struggles internally that no one knows about that I have to hold on to. And I've got to fight. Maybe you've got all these different scenarios that are fighting against you. And in this moment, friend, here's what I want to say to you. Allow your heart to be recaptured in joy. And when you practice marveling at your Savior, you you will experience that joy again. And so this Christmas, create some margin. If you want to marvel at your Savior, you've got to create margin in your schedule. And so find some moments and find some space and find some time where you, individually, you, not just you and someone, but you. Everyone hear that? You, individually, take some time and say, God, would you help me to marvel at the joy that is mine in Jesus? Not in my situations and not in my scenarios. My joy is not limited to those conditions. My joy finds its foundation in the position of who I am in Jesus. I am sought after, and I am found, and I am forever with him, period. No matter what comes, a new light has dawned, and those who are living in darkness will see it, and it will change everything. Why? Because light changes everything. That's what we celebrate. At Christmas, And as we continue on in the service, we're going to take a moment where we offer communion. We have communion on the left and right here that you can come take on your own. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to participate in that. And just we want to create some space with a couple other songs of worship here for you to to maybe lean into the story a little bit. And to lean into the light of Christmas. And as we sing these songs, I want to invite you. Just this is maybe one of those moments for you this Christmas season. Or you can carve out some space and some time for just you and God to connect. And say, God, I want to learn to marvel again at your light. At the light of Christmas, which is Jesus. And the fact that I'm sought after and I'm found in him. And that he knows about me and it's a comforting thing. And he invites me to live life with him. That I get to follow Emmanuel. God with us, and so would you pray with me as our t- team comes, and then we're gonna have a, a space and a time for communion. So, Father, um, in the light of Christmas, it's so easy um, to not create margin, to cram full so many different things, and to to be going and going and busy and busy. And, and God, part of that is the reality of the season we're in. But Father, would you help us to be diligent? to create space, and to be captured again by the beauty and the wonder of Christmas. And not just the season, and not just the trimmings, but the reality that it is life with you. That Isaiah's prediction here, hundreds of years before Jesus, wasn't just a prediction that was talked about. It was a prediction that came true. That Jesus, the light of Christmas, came. A new day is dawned, and we live in the reality of that. That no matter what darkness we face, or what darkness we must navigate, it's not as dark as it would be without you. And that your light is there with us every step of the way. Father, for some of us maybe here who have never taken that next step, into a relationship with you to actually say, yeah, I, I want that. I, I want to actually put my trust in Jesus. I, I pray that this would be a season. Maybe tonight would be a night that they say, I, I want that. I want that assurance. And if that's you tonight, I invite you just to come see me during these next couple songs. And for the rest of us, just create the space in this moment for you to worship, to lean in, And to let the light of Christmas illuminate your heart again. Because where light is, darkness flees. Where light is, it changes things. So Father, we invite you to work and weave into our hearts. Allow us to nudge close to you tonight and to experience the light of Christmas illuminating our hearts and our minds, our soul again. To marvel at you and your work.